From Hallmark Hall of Fame comes a world premiere holiday presentation. I hear you're writing a story about the Christmas train. Based on the best-selling novel by David Baldacci. I fix movies. I don't think I'm ready to write one myself. It's time you put your name on something. They were passengers headed to their Christmas destination. You're right next to me. So you're just riding a train? That a problem? But they had no idea where this journey would take them. Let you know each other. It was a lifetime ago. <laughs> He's the one that broke your heart. No secrets on a train, especially the Christmas train. Dermot Mulroney. You just walked out on me. Kimberly Williams Paisley. Is that how you remember it? Joan Cusack. It'll all come out on the train. And Danny Glover. Guilty as charged. What if it's not a coincidence that we're both here? Perhaps you should tell her that. I tried. Train. Harder. Do you believe in second chances? Hallmark Hall of Fame's presentation of The Christmas Train premieres Saturday, November 25th at 8 on Hallmark Channel. So there's Hallmark, and then there's Hallmark Hall of Fame, which is apparently Hallmark movies for people over the, or starring people over the age of 40. Uh, once again, it's a stocking stuffer. It's Emily uh, with 2017's the Christmas Train, uh, based on a novel by Robert Baldacci. I don't really know who that is. I've heard the name. I guess he's a popular author who occasionally writes novels about everybody falling in love on a Christmas train, uh, turned into a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. Now, this is directed by Ron Oliver, who is known to stocking stuffer, stocking stufferers. If you remember last year, I got very excited when I discovered that this guy, Ron Oliver, uh, there's nothing that special about him. At first glance, he directed um, many Lifetime movies, many Hallmark movies. The um, One of his Lifetime movies was Her Husband's Betrayal, which is just a classic Lifetime title. Uh, and last year, we covered the movie that I is very notable for something. The movie was Every Christmas Has a Story with Lori Laughlin. It wasn't one of the better ones. However, I think it was the only movie I've ever seen that was clearly filmed. I mean, the only movie other than Little Shop of Horrors uh, that was filmed in two days. You could tell by the way that movie was handled that everybody was getting all of their stuff done in one day. Nobody's hair changed the entire movie. It was amazing. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about Ron Oliver is that he got his start working on the Prom Night sequels. And that means he wrote the script for Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou, which everybody who's seen knows how great it is. Um, and he also directed Prom Night 3, which I probably said this last year, I have still yet to see. So I think I'm going to officially put Ron Oliver up on the dream interview list because I would love to know how a man goes from Prom Night to Hello Mary Lou to eventually you know do the standard Hallmark uh, young people in love movies to the Hallmark Hall of Fame movies. Is there a step up? Do you have to prove yourself with the basic two-day filmed Hallmark movie before you get into that Hall of Fame, is there a waiting list? Is there a certain period of time you've had to serve? Are they, you know, working according to Major League Baseball rules, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame rules? I don't know. But Hallmark presents it differently than they do the rest of their movies. As you've heard from the trailer, once again, it was a prolonged trailer, which you don't get for something like The Sweetest Christmas. And it also, you, you could probably, you know, dropped your monocle listening to those names, right? Dermot Mulroney, uh, Kimberly Williams Paisley, who most people would know probably from Father of the Bride, 
Or, more importantly, from a previous Hallmark Hall of Fame feature, The Christmas Shoes. I don't think we'll ever cover The Christmas Shoes here uh, on The Stocking Stuffers, because it's more than anyone can handle, and that includes me. And I've seen it several times now, and um, I don't know if I'm ready to, to tackle it in full. But it also, you heard that, Joan fucking Cusack. What's Joan fucking Cusack doing in a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie? Being awesome, because she's Joan Cusack, but that's besides the point. And even more notably, Danny Glover, who, as we know from Saw and other things, is is not one who, uh, how do I say this? I don't know that he has not done a movie or two for a paycheck, we'll put it that way. Um, and he gets to play a character in this movie named Max Powers. Yes, just like the Simpsons episode, but with an S, Max Powers. It's it's all very exciting. So let's talk about the plot of The Christmas Train. Our star is Dermot Mulroney. He plays Tom. Tom is a journalist. He used to be like a, you know, war correspondent who traveled the world and, you know, was in danger all the time and lived the hard life and, you know, at end back in the day was in love with a young woman named Eleanor, uh, played by Kimberly Williams Faisley. And Eleanor was also a journalist and also, you know, war correspondent and traveled the hard life and all that stuff. Uh, their relationship ended. It is now some 10, 15 years later. She has become a script doctor and is currently traveling with director Max Powers uh, to because she's going to write a script that he's going to direct and it's going to be set on a Christmas train. Uh, Dermot Mulroney is writing a news story about the Christmas train. Joan Cusack is just a passenger named Agnes who likes to ride the Christmas train. You can easily get drunk off of very mildly alcoholic eggnog by taking a sip every time somebody says the Christmas train. And unlike uh, previous installments of Stocking Stuffers, it's not a Christmas train. It is the singular one and only uh the one Christmas train. Apparently that's a thing. I don't know. Is that a thing? Do people know about Christmas trains or about the Christmas train? I guess it's a train that happens to deliver you to your destination on Christmas day. And that's a big thing. Uh, In this movie, we are saddled with a bevy of supporting characters who are also riding the Christmas train. There is a young couple who are in love and want to get married, but he's rich and she's poor and his family looks down on her. So they're going to just elope, damn it. Um, There is a... Uh, there's an old man who's a widow and it's very sad because his wife was his everything and, you know, now he doesn't know how to go on. There's a chess player who likes to beat people in chess and gets really upset when people beat him. And there is a children's choir uh, made up of four young boys who can sing in such harmony that you almost wouldn't believe it was four young boys singing. These are the kinds of people we have on the train. Now, as you can guess... um, at one point, the train stops in the middle of Colorado, and train, I think, is going from somewhere, Cleveland, to L.A., something like that. So uh, Dermot Mulroney's character is trying to get to his girlfriend, but he doesn't really like her. She is a voiceover artist living in L.A. Uh, he's actually, like, going to L.A. probably to break up with her. And then, what do you know, on the train, he reunites with Eleanor, who he was in love with, and the Sparks are back, and, of course... 
it's the kind of scenario where there's two really attractive people on the train so therefore everybody else on the train makes it their mission to make sure these two people get together so you know the conductor the engineer like everybody at this point you know who cares where we're going as long as these two people end up together that's all that really matters um and along the way, there's some weird little mysteries of brewing. There's a thief on board. Everybody starts missing something. Um, so there's a mystery. There's something weird about the young couple. They decide they're going to get married on Christmas Day on the train, because guess what? Max Powers is ordained. Of course he is. He's Max fucking Powers. He can do whatever he wants. Um, uh, and that's kind of what the driving force is. So the, the at one point... Dermot Mulroney's girlfriend surprises him by getting on the Christmas train. She's flown to Chicago to jump on the train and travel with him. And isn't that great? Except, of course, it's just about when he's about to get back together with Eleanor. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? So I'm going to spoil the rest of the Christmas train because it actually takes a pretty wacky turn. Uh, I don't know if I think I've forgotten to mention there's also a psychic on board because why not? Um... And so at one point, the train it breaks down, and every you think they might all freeze to death, but it that's kind of weird, because at one point, everybody got off the train in Colorado, and they weren't wearing winter coats, and they seemed fine, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, the train breaks down, and oh my god, we're gonna die out here, because nobody is uh, paying attention to when the train moves on schedule, and the power's gonna die, and we're all gonna die, yeah, they, they don't, unfortunately, um, but there's the wedding, the young couple gets married, um, Eventually, it's very clear that Eleanor and Tom are meant to be together. He breaks it to the girlfriend, who's actually really cool about it, because while on the train, she has now auditioned, um, I say with quotation marks, for Max Power's new movie. So now she gets a part in his movie. She's happy. Everybody has a movie to write. Um, but what about that thief? Was there a thief? Stuff was missing. Oh, yeah, there was a thief. And for a minute... Because the whole movie, you're kind of thinking it's prob maybe it's Joan Cusack because she's kind of kooky because she's Joan Cusack. So what else would you cast her as? Uh, and you see that she has something that has been stolen, and Tom is about to confront her when he realizes she's not the thief; she's the motherfucking train marshal, which is a thing. Now, how it could have been a thing, and she couldn't have taken care of the whole "Hey, we're stranded in the middle of nowhere" thing. I don't know. Maybe marshals only handle terrorism and not. Um, everybody else dying from natural causes of freezing to death. I don't, I don't know the rules of train marshalling. Maybe somebody does. If you're a train marshal, let me know. Was this an accurate portrayal of your profession? Tell me. So they figure out it's the nice old man who has given everything back uh, and that it was just he longed for connections. So he started taking stuff from other people. But, but, but it's okay because see, on Christmas Eve, the like couple of kids that were there who were the singer caroler boys, he bonded with them and he's decided he's going to volunteer now. And so happy ending for him. Great. Meanwhile, you think the movie's over, right? You totally think it's over because we have like two minutes left and Eleanor and Tom are back together and everybody seems happy and we're all ready for the credits. But guess what, guys? Now, the whole time, you knew something was weird about the young couple, right? Maybe they were grifters. Maybe they were, you know, con men, something. Um, they were actors, see? Because, get this, half of the story was essentially Max Powers is was, like, doing sort of a role-playing exercise where he wrote his own script for The Christmas Train, uh, all in the name of getting Eleanor and Tom back together, 
so he hired a psychic to be on the train and occasionally bring up memories that might push them back to each other. Uh, he hired the young couple to get married, and they were just two stranger actors. They didn't know each other, but they fell in love on the train too, guys, so it's all perfect. So he hired them to get married so that there'd be a wedding, so that, I guess, um, at one point the bouquet can land in Eleanor's lap. I think he hired Dermot Mulroney's ex-girlfriend or girlfriend to get on the train knowing they were breaking up. That part was very unclear. This was a strange little movie. It is also the sappiest little movie you've seen. And I guess part of the sappiness is a little bit, you know, kind of undercut by the twist. Because just as, like, you're about to throw up from how sweet everybody is, you do find out, oh, wait, half of the people were just playing a part. Which helps it, maybe, but also just makes you go, wait, but what about, but there are holes in this movie. And, you know, granted, there's a very tight 90 minute plus commercials runtime that you have to work with. Perhaps there were scenes on the cutting room floor that explained a lot of questions I have. Uh, But that's the story of the Christmas train. Maybe it works better in novella form. I don't know. That aside, let's get to the the good stuff. Does this movie meet the criteria of a cozy cardigan Christmas? Uh, I think that is exactly what this movie was made as. So let's jump in. Number one is our leads in need of a lesson. So we get the one thing we we do get to see a C-list former TV actress. Yes, that's Kimberly Williams Paisley. She was uh, Jim Belushi's much hotter wife for a long time on the According to Jim show, which might still be on. That show was on for like 20 years and nobody watched it. So I don't know. But so she is, I I guess she's ambitious. She's a career woman. And she does get the very key line of, I'm not sure I need love to be happy. Oh, who has ever said that in a Hallmark movie and been proven right? Not this girl. Now, she's one half of the lead. The other half of the lead, of course, is Dermot Mulroney's Tom, who learns a lesson. And it's weird to watch Dermot Mulroney in this movie because you get the sense he knows he's better than this. And he's not terrible in it. Uh, he's he, he doesn't milk it. He doesn't go too far, which is refreshing because it could have been unbearable. At the same time, uh, I don't know. You, you kind of feel him kind of after each scene going, when do I get paid? When do I get, do I get paid yet? Do I get paid yet? Please, please. It's that it's that kind of role. I guess he learns a lesson. He learns uh, to get back together with his ex-girlfriend. Hey, there we go. Number two, the setting. Big Bad City, Charming Small Town, Magical Winter Wonderland. Again, I know it's cheating, and I said this about Wrapped Up in Christmas, but essentially, the train is a charming small town. It is a quaint little enclosed space where everybody knows each other. There is a local business in the sense of the bartender who seems to be, you know, kind of running the show. There is a, uh, the conductor is sort of, you know, the mayor, if you will. It's it's really very much a small town feel on, on this little enclosed area. It, and yeah, the entire time I was also watching, thinking in the back of my head, how could you translate this to Snowpiercer? I want to see a Hallmark version of Snowpiercer or a Snowpiercer version of a Hallmark movie. You decide. Number three, the bland love interest. Uh, we, you know, again, this is kind of, this one doesn't quite work because we sort of have a couple at our center. Um, and so it's, it's not like there is the, 
I mean, Tom is the main character without question. He he is pretty bland because as much as he is Dermot Mulroney and is handsome and is more, you know, I think charming and charismatic than, you know, all of the actors who usually end up in these movies. He also is working with very little and can only do so much. So we'll move on. I guess that's a negative one for that. Montage, I was worried that we might have, in the words of Bill, a montage, but no, we get the best fucking montage. We get a, oh my god, we're stuck on this train Christmas Day montage, so we gotta decorate. So there's a decorating montage, but that's that's not why it's so great, guys. Why it's so great, what do you decorate with in a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie? Hallmark ornaments, obviously many close-ups of Hallmark ornaments. Number five, dead parents, dead wife. Uh, Tom is a dead dad. That is the whole reason he's on this train is because his dad loved trains. And apparently his dying wish was for Tom to write a story about a train. So there's that. And the random stranger who is the thief on the train has a dead wife. So we get both. Bam, it makes up for the lack of a good love, uh, bland love interest. Number six, sassy sidekick. Uh... You know, I feel like everybody counts as one because everyone that isn't Tom and Eleanor is a little sassy. We get a psychic. We get Joan Cusack. uh, We get the conductor. Everybody is a little background player who has something wacky to contribute that is all in the name of getting these two attractive people together. Number seven, the evil woman. We do. Uh, So uh, Dermot Mulroney's girlfriend, who's... You know, the actress was okay again. You had to feel for her because what was she working with? She wasn't working with much. Holly Alyssa is her name, and she was in The Twelve Disasters of Christmas, which I have not covered yet. Give me time. Um, Oh, she must be Canadian. This makes sense now. Good. I have a Canadianism. Yep, good. I was worried about that. It's been a while since we had a Canadianism, but she pretty clearly had a little bit of Canada in her talk. Um, She's somewhat evil. Uh, She's very materialistic, seems to be ambitious. Oh my God, that's evil. Uh, But cares a lot about her dress, which I think makes her evil somehow, according to Hallmark. Number eight, slapstick. Shockingly, no. Not that I recall. Aside from, like, the train almost crashing and people falling, but that not really being played for laughs. Eh, yeah, no, kind of kind of lacking in that field. Number nine, our sage old person. Okay, so we didn't have slapstick, but guys, we have, like, 35 sage old people. Remember, it's Hallmark, Hall of Fame, where you're allowed to have gray hair, apparently. Uh, we have Danny Glover as Max Powers. I'm just going to keep saying it, Max Powers. And he has about eight different scenes where he gives some kind of wisdom about how he was, he's was he been married four times, but his first wife was the one he really loved and she died. Oh, another dead wife. Bam. Uh, so siege, wisdom about romance and how you need love and blah, blah. You have the random stranger with a dead wife who also has to give a lot of advice to everybody about how important it is to ride the Christmas train and... Uh, you know, love your wife. And then, of course, there is the conductor, Roxanne, who, for whatever reason, has a lot of advice to give about life. And lastly, Santa Claus. Not officially, uh, there, but, but, but we do have the popular, everybody's favorite bartender does dress up as Santa during Christmas. So, you know, kind of half a point there. Moving on to the bonus round. Do we get a public domain holiday song? Ha ha ha. 
<laughs> do we get a public domain holiday song in this movie? How many do we get? I, at first, thought we weren't going to get... I thought that the Hallmark Hall of Fame had sprung for an actual budget in music because we open on a radio playing and they announce it. Here is um, Winter Wonderland, as sung by Michael Bublé. I'm like, oh, oh my God, it's actually going to be like real people singing real music that costs money. No, they spent it all on that opening credits moment because after that, it's a lot of orchestral scoring. Uh, a lot of carolers singing the classics, boys singing Silent Night in a way that four boys cannot sing Silent Night, um, and Oh Christmas Tree plays a lot, uh, at least twice in the movie, as it does in all of these movies. Mm, product placement. As I said, finally, I was getting worried that I would have to take this out because it's been like eight movies and I haven't had good product placement, but finally... I had completely forgotten that where the real marketing comes. Maybe Hallmark knows that, um, I don't know, that they're catering to a different audience, right? When they make the little Sweetest Christmases and Christmas Incorporateds with 20-somethings in the roles, maybe they figure, oh, our audience is younger. They don't have as much spending power. But when we make a movie aimed at people over the age of 40, 50, they're going to go to Hallmark and buy that ornament that we so lovingly uh, gave a close-up to in camera. So yeah, fuck yeah, product placement. Cloying child, um, no, thankfully none of the kids talk. Uh, yeah, there's kids on the train and we never hear them talk. So hey, way to go. Uh, ice skating, we do not get ice skating, but we do get skiing. So when the train breaks down, naturally the only way to save everybody from freezing to death in mildly cold non-Colorado weather is for Eleanor and Tom to ski over to get help. So they do that and then they sled back in like a sled led by a reindeer or something to get back to the train. So again, that, that kind of makes up for it. And um, in the final scene, we get to California, to LA, and much like the Buffy the Vampire Christmas episode amends, we get snow in California, which only seems to happen at the very end of magical television productions. Canadianisms, like I said, I didn't catch any, but now knowing that one of the actresses was Canadian explains a whole lot. And character with a Christmas name, shockingly, I don't think we had one. Um, it, it's shocking, and, and I'm kind of disappointed and baffled that Hallmark Hall of Fame would do that. I will say one other thing I wanted to point out that I found very odd is the costuming department of this movie. It, there's nothing wacky going on, but it's, how do I say it? All the women dress exactly the same. At one point, it's like the holiday, and all of the women are wearing a like monochrome, like very plain Christmas dress with a statement necklace. And there's just something about the idea of, okay, you know, you want uh, your movie to have a certain look, so sure, you're going with a color palette, maybe your characters are going to be dressing a certain way to achieve a visual look. But realistically, Joan Cusack's undercover train marshal would probably not dress the same way that... Tom's, uh, you know, wealthy actress, voiceover artist girlfriend does. And yet, they could trade clothing. It's a strange thing that I don't think I would have noticed if I wasn't watching this movie with a very quizzical eye. Because it's weird, guys. It's really weird. 
Now, the general consensus, uh, if you can go by IMDb's rating, gives it a 6.7 out of 10, which is all in all pretty high. I have a feeling like Neon Demon probably has a 5.3. Now, one other thing before we go is to look at other opinions. Because, I mean, I watch it and I, at this point, have a very come from a certain place watching it. The user reviews on IMDb are glorious, as you can imagine. Some love it, some hate it. This guy, uh, Jack Vazen from Illinois, gives it 6 out of 10. And I'm, if you'll permit me, going to read his review. Ahem. Because he has some very distinct opinions. This was billed continuously leading up to the premiere as a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. It wasn't Hall, Hall of Fame worthy. Whew. Take how deeply I felt about it. I have watched literally dozens of Christmas movies this season, and a good percentage still dozens of movies. I had tears in my eyes ranging from in one movie, tears start to finish, to other movies at least a couple of times, and everywhere in between. For this movie, I had no tears at all, neither joy nor sadness. Take enjoyment. I sat through virtually the entire movie, waiting to enjoy it. I think a big part was my problem was that I couldn't get invested in the romantic leads. Is that because of their respective ages? Dude, they're like 42. I think it was more than that. Now, I was attracted to Kimberly Williams Paisley and her character, but not enough to make the whole movie fun for me. Take production and sets. There were lots of shots of model toy trains in the snow. One scene with everyone staring out the window at the leads had a totally cheesy appearance. All the outdoor sets were bad, and the snow was fake. Take acting. Okay, here at least are a couple of pluses. Danny Glover and Joan Cusack both did their parts very well. I already mentioned Williams Paisley, but overall, her acting was just okay. Dermot Mulroney lacked spark. Take acting. Take story. This is the biggest plus. For being a story on a train, there was a surprising amount going on. And the ending was truly interesting! Exclamation point. Exclamation point, too. On the other hand, the climax wasn't that great. And the rest after that was not all that inspiring. Yes, it was the usual Hallmark kind of ending, but not with as much impact as I'd expect. Was this movie watchable? Yes, I think so. I was just expecting so much more due to the build-up. The true measure is, will I watch it again? I don't think so. So, you know, you, you get two opinions there. Um, do I recommend it? I, guys, it's, it's terrible and weird and very odd. And so obviously, yes, you should totally watch it. It has more going for it than a lot of the more cookie-cutter movies that are often about cookies on Hallmark. Uh, so there's that. Uh, you get a good cast and you get good actors slumming. You get Joan Cusack being Joan Cusack and apparently a train marshal the entire time. It's not good. I'm not telling you it's good. I don't think it had an original song and it feels like this should have ended with a song called The Christmas Train and all the magic that happens on it. We don't get that. There's a lot of missed opportunity here. I'm not saying this couldn't have been better, but I am saying it is one of those bad, weird, bizarre, um strange uh max powers filled hallmark movies that hey it, it, you know it, it's there and when you feel like you need to be reminded of maybe why some people roll their eyes at everything around the holidays i think this is the exact movie to do that for you it kind of represents everything annoying about um 
a love of the holidays, if you will, of all that, oh, on the Christmas train, everything is great, and this is where all your feelings come out. Oh, just, or, you know what? Everybody probably stinks at this point. They haven't had a good shower in, like, three days. And maybe, maybe there's charm to that and to your own anger at that. I'll leave it there. Bye, folks. What are you waiting for, Christmas? <laughs> <laughs>